0: Hi everyone, <clears throat> let's get a little, um, play some music for you here, get a little drums going, get a little, little drums here, let's give a little, here we go, oh yeah, I like that, hi everyone, welcome back to the show, uh, in today's episode we talked with Sam again, we, I talked with Sam again, um, we have another conversation about Jordan Peterson. It's like the part two of the Jordan Peterson phenomenon and a very, very good conversation. Really enjoy. I always really enjoy, uh, you know, hashing things out with Sam and, um, he's a smart guy. Tons of show notes, like show notes that, that I am glad are there for me, uh, to go back and refer to A lot of good books and good, um, authors to get exposed to a lot of just, a lot of good stuff in the show notes. So don't, you know, don't, don't neglect the show notes here. Um, Sam says a few dirty words. So if you don't like stuff like that, um, throw, throw your phone in a, in a fire. Uh, you can support the show on Patreon. So I don't have ads, so I don't have to do ads or anything like that. You can support the show on our Patreon, patreon.com slash the show. Also, I'm going to be doing a call in show well, no, not calling. I'm going to be recording like like a you know a just me show, but uh, I want to know if you're listening. If I just want to know who you are, so you can leave me a voicemail. You can leave me a voicemail, and I'll play it on the show. Guaranteed, guaranteed. Uh, play it on the show. So you can call 817-527-1423 and leave me an interesting voicemail. Maybe walk through a field. Um, You know, walk through a field holding a koala, like holding a koala bear and maybe like you and the koala bear, just like leave me a voice message. So then, you know, we're kind of with you, we're, we're with you in the K bear, you know, out there in the field, but we're also listening here in the podcast studio. So maybe, maybe do something like that. But anyways, yeah. Leave me a voicemail, 817-527-1423. And I think that's it. Uh, without further ado, um, Without further, here we go. Get some of that. Oh yeah. So our conversation with Sam. This is my conversation with Sam. Super nerdy. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, nerd out on all that stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, it's nerdism that goes really further than like pop nerd. It's just like. I mean, like a subfield of a, of a sub-branch of philosophy. It's like what?
0: <sighs> how many people show up? About how many people? Uh,
1: Something around two hundred
0: and fifty. Wow. So I mean, that's still a pretty big group. <laughs> I was expecting way less for some reason.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. That's a I mean, that's a big
0: a, that's a sizable group. It's a substantial society, that's for sure. Yeah. And from all over, from Canada, from from other countries, Canada.
1: Yeah, Canada, yeah, yeah although it's a global, I mean, mainly U.S., Canada, U.K., but we get people from continental Europe, from, yeah, all over the world,
0: all wow. over the world. Who's yeah. like, who's like, who's known as, as like, who's the Scott Hahn of, of, uh of this conference? Like, who's the, who is the, I'm so bad at coming up with these analogies. Who's the, let's see, who's the. Who's I, I don't have any other examples. I, all I have is the Scott Hahn of, of what? Yeah,
1: it's it's kind of it's actually a pretty. That's a good question because who's it kind of who's
0: the Peter Kraft of? Yeah, you know who's who's the Sam the Harris problem
1: with Peter Craeft is that he's not the Peter Craeft of like Catholic <laughs> philosophers. Yeah, that's true. the Peter Kraft of people who don't want to read the real Catholic that's philosophers. <laughs> so who's the who's like the well, top no, but, dog? But that's that's actually like that's the that's the exact issue, is we don't actually have top dogs in a subfield. Is, so like, is that an issue? So is that issue? something you're proud of. No, it's a, it's it's yeah, I'm super proud of it. That's because cool. it's about your work and it's about you know so there's so there's definitely like a cool kids table I guess you could say yeah. But a lot of it is kind of anecdotal. But at the end of the day, like, we're pretty fierce. Like, you know, it's peer-reviewed, double-blind peer-reviewed to get in. You submit your full paper. People who have been presidents in past years don't get accepted the next year. Wow, wow. So we're pretty ruthless. Um, But, you know, there are people who are kind of on the rise. We have three general sessions, and those are, like, the top three papers in the field that were submitted that year. And if you get one of those, you're kind of – it's kind of – you're hot shit.
0: Wow. you know. So So, so what's it called? The philosophy of education society. Okay. philosophy of education society.org. I'm I'm making notes, man. I'm good. I'm good with this stuff. Yeah.
1: Honestly, like if people, especially for people who want to like think about education, but they don't want to like, the crazy thing is you can go and you can show up and be like, hi, I'm just interested in philosophy of education. People will be like, that's cool. And you can go to sessions. You can do like, I think it's one of the best kept secrets. Like, in the world
0: huh what but but like uh if i went am i yeah. going to under? am i going to even understand what is going on or am i going to be totally lost like are, is there like the intro track or something or yeah, no like- that's the
1: thing is so so the cool thing with philosophers is you'll have some people who are like very very technical and that's the particular branch of philosophy so for instance if you walked into one of my talks and because i have like pretty heavy religious theological language that some people don't go to my talks because they can't understand it. You'd be like, Hey, this is cool. I can understand stuff. Yeah. Yet There's other people who are like very analytical and you could understand them cause they're super clear, but then it'd be just be really confusing. <laughs> uh, and cause like clarity for the analytical philosophers is a way they like get away with kind of not making, well, making so much sense that you can't understand it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like, I, re- I was talking to someone the other day. Someone said, uh, Someone said, does that make sense? And I, and, I, and we had this whole discussion about, like, it is it is logical, but it's not true. <laughs> like, Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. You're lo- I don't know what that's called in philosophy, but yeah. it's like, your logic was sound, but it is not true. Like, yeah, it's totally. perfectly logical.
1: Yep. And then there's some people who are going to accuse, you know, any session, they're going to accuse us of, you know, what does this even have to do with education or mm-hmm. this isn't philosophy or, you know, I mean, it's all, it's all on the table. It's pretty, you know, it can get, it, it's, it's, the spirit is fr- basically critical. It's insulting to tell someone that they, like, they had a nice paper and uh, story.
0: That's so, cool. That's it. That's, um, I find that an attractive environment. I, I think, I think it's super attractive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it's also attractive for people who, you know, constantly get their feelings hurt, mm. um, of me online is they don't get the fact that like I actually work in this, like this is actually my day job,
0: yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah there's been a few there's been a few I think i've told you this before that i actually I really enjoy watching the kind of the little fires happen on your on your yeah. social, social media yeah. because one, I learn a lot and but no, I do think that sometimes uh sometimes people take criticism as um, i don't know what the word as i guess personal. There's times where, uh, there was one in particular, I forget what it was about, but I think it involved Jared and, and I think you were just, you like, I, after talking to you in, well, not in person, but uh, like hearing your voice, no, like I could hear, I could hear like, this is Sam putting on his critical hat, not his, um, not his like condemning hat. It was just, he, you're like seriously (laughs) critiquing things you like, sure. like, uh, yeah. Anyways, I keep coming back to that need you find a better word, but that's, that's often the thing that, um, the word that comes to mind when I think of you, like your strength in that area. It's very refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. on. are you recording by the way? Yeah, man. I just, yeah. Just in wow. case, just in case Holy you know. smokes. Yeah. I was literally like earlier, like, I don't know if he's recording it. I shouldn't say anything <laughs> interesting.
1: I was like, Nothing I say is interesting. So I well just keep talking.
0: <laughs> You're so humble. Um, well, yeah, man. I mean, your our po our podcast on Jordan Peterson it's it's my most popular one so far. Are you serious? Yeah, man. It has um all oh five hundred views, five hundred listens. I'm wow. I'm just a baby, man. I'm just a baby.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've heard I've heard anecdotal accounts from people that were crazy enough to listen to it all that liked it, but I didn't really th- think it was like. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so okay. that was
0: that was good. I mean, other than that, I haven't I haven't heard any like yeah, few, yeah, yeah. I've heard people talk about like I've heard people tell me they listen to it. But um sweet man. So yeah, so that was fun. That's fun. So yeah, I that I was I'm fun. glad we're so you wanted to you wanted to have the, the redux, the round two, the the revisiting of it. I don't well, yeah. I actually don't care what we talk about. I'm just happy to have you back on because I think you need to start podcasting, you need to be on podcasting, you have your voice <laughs> your voice in people's ears.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm uh I'm definitely I'm definitely moving in that direction. I've got I've got two potential podcast titles now I'm throwing around. Nice. But nice. I wanna I, I I'm moving in May uh to campus. Mm. So um and when I move we'll I'll have a small little like studio slash study. Nice. And uh so I'll kinda set up shop there and probably get started. Nice recording
0: some more music maybe
1: yeah well i have this concept this uh kind of soundscape album thing that i'll be working on still and then uh and then you know be able to record podcasts and stuff like that you know have you heard all, all this stuff
0: have you heard any of um have you heard of the liturgists no this is kind of like in the rob bell kind of oh venn yeah. diagram but it's like Gunger and rob bell. but um i know Gunger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like in that area. Okay. Um, but okay. They, okay. They they had this project called the Liturgists, where the idea was um, nobody, n- none of the artists' names. I think maybe at the beginning, maybe it's, maybe okay. it's different now. But none of the artists' names were on anything, and okay. uh, their idea was like their attempt at some type of liturgy. But but anyways, but it's 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 this interesting mix between music and and spoken word meditation and and i don't know why it reminded me of you a little bit when i when i came across interesting that. But, man so that's I cool could, i could see i could see an audio music version of um, sure maybe one of your books yeah or, well i one. I
1: like Gunger in general like i think he's collabed with like uh israel houghton mm. before I know, um
0: i don't know who that is
1: Israel Houghton and New Breed, uh, they play. They they're kind of like the house band at one of the big mega churches in Houston. But um, he's an incredible musician, and yeah, um, yeah. Some of his some some of his like contemporary kind of like in between like contemporary gospel and contemporary praise and worship music. That's that's to me has been some of the best writing of the last few recent years.
0: Yeah, he's um, good. he's good. I I feel like Gunger is a uh, a very thoughtful person. So anytime I hear anytime there are opportunities like his podcast to listen to him, to listen to him explain his kind of worldview a little bit. I find it interesting. I don't Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I don't agree with a lot of, a lot of this stuff. I mean, this related to our topic, (laughs) I, I, I I find some things beneficial to, to listen to, but I don't, I don't necessarily agree with everything he's saying, but anyway,
1: sure. I mean, for me, it's like, there's, he's a he's a, he's a songwriter and musician who's both, uh, has some religious well, has an explicitly religious sense of what he's doing, mm-hmm. but he can ask actually play. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he could like go and cut up at any, anywhere, you Did, know, didn't he, go
0: is, to, didn't he go to like Juilliard or something like that? Or didn't he, I th- I thought he's like some intense music major. Yeah, he might have. I don't, I mean, I don't
1: know that much, uh, actually about okay. him outside of the, uh, you know, um, some of his work mainly with, with, with Israel Houghton. Okay. Um, but uh but yeah I mean he I have seen I've seen some videos and stuff and like I mean the guy can really really play
0: he can shred he can yeah. shred Yeah 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 Oh yeah. So, Jordan Peterson fever is is sweeping the nation. Word on fire... Hey, man,
1: I just want to be on the record that I, hit. I said it was coming, and people were like, oh, you were, you're you on the record, it was being like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm the Lexus guy. And I was like, no, watch it. It's going to blow up. And then what happened? Right two, after we talked.
0: Two episodes on Word on Fire podcast. Two episodes yeah. in a row. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I just want, you know, since apparently people are listening to this, I mean... It's there. It's it's burnt into your podcast. It is. You being like, I'm the only person.
0: I felt Catholic that way. Who
1: cares this? I
0: and felt, then I felt that way. And then it blew up. His uh, are, so his book, The Twelve Rules of Life, uh, has been at number one on Amazon and all books for a long time for for a while now, and I, I feel like that kind of tipped him. Tipped him over the edge. Now, um,
1: oh yeah, it's good. This is going to be the new like Benedict option thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's going to be bigger though too because it's got a larger. It's not as niche as uh, as uh, Dreyer's, You know, audience. yeah, I
0: didn't, I didn't, I, I only, I only uh, entered into the whole Benedict option through you. I, I, yeah. I was like, <laughs> shoot, if if Sam's willing to to talk about it this extensively, I need to kind of feel. But I never read the book, but I that yeah, was yeah. that was how I kind of came through it. Sure. But yeah, man, it's uh. Let's see, number one. Yeah. Have you
1: read Twelve Rules?
0: Uh, I have it. I've read. I've read maybe half. Okay. Not yeah. not the whole how, thing. How many, how many rules are you through? I think two at this point. Maybe, maybe it's not half. It must be less, but not very yeah. many. Yeah. I think it was just the okay. first two. But it, I feel like I've yeah. I've read a lot the before I got to Genesis. Yeah. 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 Have you read it? Yeah. Nice. Nice. Come on. How fast can you? How fast do you get? Do you get through books like that?
1: Well, so I mean, uh, I'm a big believer in like you need to have gears when you read. So it's kind of like like a standard like a standard transmission kind of a thing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and um, it depends what I'm doing. So I read it. I mean, I read at different paces depending on what my purposes are, or what yeah. I'm looking for. Yeah. And in this case, um, I, I have a pretty. Uh, I have a pretty strong. So I can't. I can't exactly say who it's for or what the arrangement is because it's not. It, it still needs to be kind of uh, editorially uh, looked at. But I have a um, a lead on a pitch to uh, publish a review of the Twelve Rules as kind of my entry into the more public discussion of Peterson. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. A, a pretty a bigger
0: periodical. Yeah. And, you mean besides? Um, you mean besides like a uh, worldwide famous podcast? Exactly. The next, no, is, yeah, yeah, the next yeah. step would be. Yeah,
1: this is in print. This is you know yeah, I've yeah. already broken out the scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, so so because I'm reading it for the purposes of reviewing it, mm-hmm. um, I'm making myself basically like like review notes. So um, I'm kind of I'm reading it obviously, but I'm also trying to. Mark and dog ear and margin out, you know, themes that I might want to go back to or passages I might end up quoting verbatim and stuff. And so I find that that kind of reading is um, a little bit busy Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm reading for comprehension and then also reading for uh, flagging things and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, one thing I've been doing is I've just been circling and counting how many times he uses the word being, capital B, which he asks, says he's using from Heidegger and the, pre- and the preface.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, I remember because that. Because I think if he keeps doing this all the way to the end of the book, it's going to reach maybe around 100. Mm-hmm. And, if you know, if I can say, like, Peterson uses the word being, capital B, 103 times in his book, and he says in the preface that he's using this because of Heidegger's use of the word but Heidegger doesn't use the word this way. And here's the passage from Heidegger where he clearly doesn't use it this way. Yeah. So Peterson's out to lunch on that.
0: Yeah. Right? yeah,
1: yeah. Um. That's a lot more compelling than being like, yeah, Peterson kind of uses this word and, you know, stuff like that. So,
0: yeah.
1: you know um, to me, it's probably not the purest form of reading. Um, and I could be criticized of kind of like not having read it yet for deep comprehension. Um. But I don't know. I feel I mean some books I'll, I'll actually set down the like I'm I'm reviewing a book by John Patoly Milan Masusakas called The Ethics of Time for uh Open
0: Phenomenology. And
1: that's what, a book I read. What's twice. open
0: what's open phenomenology?
1: It's uh it's like a review of, of books in phenomenology. Oh. Um
0: it's a website. Yeah. It's a website?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh it's a cool it's a cool one. Oh, I forgot you keep, you keep, uh, uh, I'm working
0: this. My fingers are working over here. You he is man. You're, you're I'm, all over. It. I'm paying attention though. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> no, I got no, it. of course
1: I totally am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but, uh, we're millennials so, here, man. We can do I this.
0: know, right? So you're, um, so you're reading, you're, you're kind of, I would say in some ways though, you're reading it much deeper. It sounds like then. Well, I, at least you're, you're more involved in the book than, than I was. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of just, I'm kind of just, uh, strolling through it
1: sure sure yeah. well it's, it's yeah you're right so in that respect it's a very very fiercely focused critical read yeah um yeah for sure but um i wouldn't say though like if i was teaching um this isn't to me like the this is not probably the uh the best way to read mm-hmm. you know um actually the 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 place is called phenomenological reviews okay open phenomenology so it's reviews.ophen.org.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: But um and that in the case of that book <laughs> I was like, I can't really read this for the review. I need to understand the book first. Yeah. <laughs> so I just sat down the ducky and uh read it once, unannotated, annotated it, and then now I'm I'm going through and kind of collecting my annotations into some notes for the review.
0: I'm sure um, you I'm sure you know about this book, uh what is it More, I think it's behind me here Mortner, Mortimer, Mortimer Adler's how read read a book yeah Wait, man what, what, do you, what do you think about that book do you think that's good uh, I always like, just... I always feel like I have to i i, I like I want to throw out my feelings about it but then i'm 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 hedging against what Sam thinks about <laughs> what the, sam I'm trying to figure out like what would Sam think about this book like I'm trying to really think Think deeper well, think, about it because I'm. It's I am, be the
1: worst way to read a book. Eh?
0: W- <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm very. I'm just very. Uh, I'm very. I'm. I think I am less critical of a reader in the sense that uh, I'm just looking for things that I can take away. And I think I, so. I so when I said it, I'm like thinking, man, what is what was Sam like? What would be my critical take on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mortimer Adler's How to Read a Book? Sure. But what, do, what do you think sure. about that book?
1: Uh. So It's a super influential book for me. Um, Before I showed up at Franciscan my first year, we were required to read two books for our first day of class in our honors seminar. One was uh, was Homer's Iliad, and the second was this book, How to Read a Book. Um, At the time, I'd been reading in a very undisciplined way. But really, I think at the time, by the time I got to like my senior year in high school, I'd kind of given up on like the longer tomes of philosophy. And I was just reading like philosophy dictionaries and anything light that I could get my hands on. And that was a decent exercise to some extent. But this book was really cool because it really helped me see reading, I guess, across its, you know, you know, because he's talking all about like so many different ways to read and so many different kinds of books. And it's kind of like an introduction to, to sort of, the different facets of literature you could say.
0: Yeah. Uh, I felt, I felt super weird. I, I had this like really weird uh, moment because he was describing how to mark a book.
1: Yeah. And it was,
0: and it was all stuff I had been doing. I mean, I'm not like trying to sound super prideful, but he talked, I still have this very vivid memory of reading it and feeling really creeped out because he said, you know, draw squares around terms yeah, and like yeah. underline important things, star, yeah, yeah. star, like major theme, like, yeah. um, like do, I forget what he said to do with, with, um, like the thesis and, and I was like, man, yeah. like, this is really weird. Like it was, it was very empowering to feel, to, yeah. to, to, read that type of book and feel like, Oh wow. Yeah. Like, uh, like, um, I feel affirmed in the way that I'm, I'm, I'm engaging, uh, books that I'm reading. So
1: sure. Well, I, I didn't, I didn't feel that way in my case. <laughs> I was I was, I was really young and I didn't really know what I was doing and I was, you know, using kind of like a, just, you know, highlighters and, you know, so it helped me, it helped me kind of get my act together. Um, I didn't really know how to do reading in school and all that stuff at all. Yeah. When I was reading this. Um, and it would have never occurred to me to pick up, you know, a pencil on, on every book at this point. I can't start reading if I don't have a pencil. Right.
0: Mm, Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, uh,
1: no, it's influential. Here's the other side of the story, though. Is that?
0: Yeah, give me, yeah, give I, me the critical it, side. I, give me the critical, I, well, Sam.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I, want to take it kind of easy on the book because it's, it's such an influential book for me, out of respect. But you know, I don't find it a particularly useful book
0: um, to teach. Okay. I to, do. To teach, I do tell students like to like. You mean to tell students to read?
1: Yeah, you know the few of my students because because I I do tell people like you know if you want to if, if you if you want to read some books like you know Umberto Eco has a really cool uh, book called How to Write a Thesis I think it's a great book um, and this is like How to Read a Book and there's Strunk and White's you know Elements of Style and there's there's a there's a a small collection of what I think are you know fairly good books I mean Stephen King actually has a really cool book called On Writing
0: Yeah 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 wow. Yeah Great book. Yeah I love that little book Great Book. Um,
1: and so you know a lot of times I'll you know i I, I really encourage my students to think a lot about craft and kind of you know these how these these kinds of how-to books to me are, are actually quite serious they're not you know just you know pop books yeah so I found though that it's probably been the least um, I've gotten the least amount of like People saying like, "Yeah, that book really helped me."
0: <laughs> yeah. So my feeling yeah.
1: is it's, it's maybe a little bit tedious for. Yeah,
0: both. it feels much larger than it should be. There should be a there should be a shorter yeah. should be a shorter yeah. version yeah. of that. It should be a primer. But it's harder. It's harder to write a short book than a long book. I feel like.
1: Well, yeah, I'm not one who's. I mean, I, I I've never really written a truly long book before. All my books are short. So. Oh right,
0: yeah. Well, I yeah. guess maybe I'm just saying from the whole. Uh, it takes 5 minutes to write a 1 hour talk and 1 hour to write a 5 minute talk yeah yeah, yeah I've, i i I've, I've felt yeah. like that's true
1: sure. so
0: so okay let's get let's get down to the let's get down to the to the business here let's get down sure. to the let's get down to the jordan so you said um there were yeah like maybe just explain some of the things you were messaging me about why you felt like uh we should revisit some some thoughts that you were having um, I think you've done a little more reading since the last time, uh, you, last time we talked, you had read pretty much the bulk of, uh, maps of meeting. Yep. And I think you said that recently you've listened to a lot more of his lectures and then read. now you're like critically reading, you know, the 12 rules of life. Sure. sure.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I've, I've kind of stepped up, I think my, um, my intake. Yeah. Um, uh, when i first read maps of meaning i think when we talked i read maps of meaning in the kind of the short version so peterson in maps of meaning after at the end of the preface he has like a little like abstract and he says i'm going to give these at the beginning of every chapter if you mm-hmm. want to you can just read this book using all the abstracts and it'll give you a picture of what i'm trying to say okay. so uh, at the time i didn't have a lot of time so i was like cool i'll read it that way so, especially since you said i could um, <laughs> Yeah, and I did, and I thought I got a pretty good picture of what he was talking about. Um, I obviously wasn't crazy about it, Um, but uh, I, whenever I kind of saw that I was going to get a little bit deeper, I said I should probably read it kind of top to bottom, and so I did. And that's whenever I was like putting up like the screenshots of like those uh, all the dragon uh, 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 pictures and all that kind of stuff, and uh, because he uses tons and tons and tons of uh, it maps the meaning of these picture graphs. Um, of all kinds of things, but mainly the the dragon of chaos is everywhere
0: yeah, yeah his, um, the whole order and chaos thing is like a big theme for him. I don't know if it's a theme- i mean
1: I think a theme is kind of an understatement frankly
0: um what would you say like like it's i like- think it's
1: i mean I, I at this stage, especially having read uh the twelve rules and mm-hmm. seen his other stuff i mean it's kind of like it's almost a dogmatic position that I would say at this point, you know, in maps of meaning he hedges. He's actually far more careful in maps of meaning than he is in, in this later one. Mm-hmm. In maps of meaning, he kind of hedges on where things are. I think now though, he's come to really represent a sort of, even though he, this, he, he could provide passages where he says, why well, didn't say this in this passage, but I think he represents his view as a fairly Manichaean dualistic model of, the, the you know, chaos and order.
0: So and, explain, explain what you mean, Manichaean.
1: Sure. I mean, Manichaeanism is an old, uh, uh, heresy. Uh, an old, an old heresy, an old idea. Um, uh, Augustine really kicked the dog shit out of it in his yeah. confessions. I mean, he yeah. just destroys it. Um, and, of course, Augustine was a Manichae himself um, for, a, for a short period of time, uh, from what he tells us in his confessions. Okay. And uh, you can reduce Manichaeanism to a very simple... Uh, view that um g- the good and what is that good and evil are in c- constant agential opposition to each other what that means is that goodness and evil both have a kind of agency to oppose one another and so kind of the world is 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 trapped within this constant conflict between good and evil and either one of them could win
0: right and and that and that uh and that there, th- that one needs the other for this type of balance. Maybe that that, that there needs. Yeah, to be-
1: that's more of the Eastern influence that he that that Peterson takes. He does the yin yang thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my reading of the kind of more uh, Western Manichaeanism is that um, what really makes this dangerous is the fact that this opposition is not productively dialectical Mm -hmm. in a way that the Eastern sense is like all about balance and stuff, but that actually is the good and evil. And this fight, you know, against each other Mm -hmm. that, that there could come a point where where one takes one over, you know, the other. And so this, this kind of plays really well with like stoicism of a certain kind, which was really popular at the time where, you know, evil is encroaching and you need to overcome it through discipline, through, you know, all these kinds of things. And so, you know, what I, what I, what I feel like is recognized in peterson um is this kind of it's the common sense of the appeal of stoicism to christianity and we see that all over paul i mean the letter to the romans might as well be like kind of you know christianity to stoicism right Mm -hmm. uh you know that's pretty much the whole point and it makes sense even culturally because the romans were super into stoicism at the time so that's what paul talked to them about you know he's a uh all things to all people yeah um But uh, I think, so there's this appeal of stoicism and I think even Peterson's way of, um, you know, he's lost weight and he's clear, you know, if you look at the older Peterson, he had a beard and he was chubby and he was kind of, you know, now he's given this kind of like, you know, glaring eyes, chiseled kind of, you know, uh, serious stoic looking kind of Marcus Aurelius kind of figure, right? Well, well, he
0: had some like serious health conditions, like him and his his daughter too. I mean, his daughter had... A lot of really serious health conditions and then um he was having like a lot of problems and then he went on the whole like uh basically dietary yeah thing. like no carbs he basically went on yeah. like, the no carb thing and yeah that's um, fine
1: i mean I, I i'm i I should exercise more too but i mean it's, it's <laughs> not very interesting to me when yeah. we talks about that, yeah, I mean, yeah yeah fine um <laughs> sorry sorry uh, yeah so, no 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 i mean it's it, ha- it has a therapeutic appeal though, because yeah. if you read it within the narrative of the thematic chaos and order, and you know eating a certain way and stuff, I mean everything kind of fits into that. Um, but to me, the appeal is on the one hand, um, and this is the best thing I can say about it: is it's a it's a very old uh, appeal. It pops up uh you know um perennially mm-hmm. and the 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 stoic sensibility is is strong uh in its and it's as far as i can see it's it's completely you know it travels it doesn't man cult it's not particularly culturally um uh, codified or whatever but the manichaean side is more that dualistic side um, and I think that that's where Peterson gets himself into the hottest kind of metaphysical waters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it's an un, it's an untenable position for any, uh, not just Christians, but for really anyone who's going to take a, um, uh, you know, because like the way I read uh, the the Twelve Rules, even though he does contradict it in some really select places, is this is basically Peterson not knowing that he's trying to have an argument with Aristotle.
0: Really? Um, okay. Well, what, well, we'll break that down. What do you What do you mean by that?
1: Aristotle, in the very beginning of the Nicomachean Ethics, says that um, all human life is directed towards human flourishing through eudaimonia or through blessedness or happiness or something like this. Now, Aristotle doesn't mean that flourishing or happiness or blessedness, however you want to translate that Greek word, to mean, like, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy, kumbaya, circle, or whatever. But he does very clearly, I think, um, echo his teacher, Plato. To say that our life is directed towards the good, and that the good life is the proper aim and end, and of, of 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 that's the that's the question to the to the that's the answer to the question of ethics of how should I live? Yeah, live the good life. Yeah, how right? ought
0: I? Yeah, how ought I choose or or what ought I do? Right? I yeah, think it's kind yeah of
1: exactly. The... That's that's the answer. Yeah, and uh, and 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 you could uh, you know it's 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 a cliche to say it, but you know that's the meaning of life. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, Peterson, very early in his Rules for Life, basically says that he wants to strike out against the thesis that the that that the meaning of life is 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 determined through happiness, um, and, what, and he wants to say it's determined through struggle. Struggle, um, okay, yeah. Um, he says that early on in the uh, in in the right when he takes off in the part that he calls the overture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So first he says like. I wrote this book. He doesn't really make up his mind. He's like, I used to write a lot of stuff on Quora all the time, and I'm really popular there.
0: Happy face. Um, <laughs> happy face is here. Oh, my gosh. You have, like, an idactic memory. or Are you looking at notes or something? Because, like, that, that is literally... <laughs> How
1: can you not forget the happy <laughs> yeah, face? Yeah, I, I know.
0: I know. Yeah, I know. But it's so funny. It's so funny, though, because I, like to me it was endearing and to you like i like man i want to reread this book through sam's eyes because like <laughs> to me i was like oh that was endearing and to you you're like i hate this mother... <laughs> you know like no like... it's not that i hate it
1: it's just the fact that look man if you're yeah. gonna put on a happy face you better have the goods yeah, right yeah, yeah, like yeah. if you're gonna be cute it's yeah. gotta be because you're in some sense using your cuteness to kind of hide the fact that you're like – you have atomic weapons under your shirt, right? Yeah, yeah. And so for me, it's like if you're going to be glib or coy or whatever, you better be like bringing the heat in the pros.
0: Well, what, uh, I, what I thought when I read that though was I thought this is fr- – I mean maybe I'm wrong, but this is – uh a very different book from maps of meaning i mean this is a totally, a book totally. written for a popular audience that's right and that's so right. And, and i'm so, willing
1: and i'm willing to concede certain de- degrees of presentation and like style I could, to that
0: yeah because yeah, i could just hear his editor going hey like let's be a little like you know there's a side of you that can every now and then uh be funny so you know let's be a little yeah. more personal in this one and so jordan's sitting sitting at his typewriter going how do i be more personal okay i'll put a I'll yeah. put a I'll put a smiley face in here. Well, I have to I have to admit I find
1: the happy face annoying because to me it's a performative contradiction. He's saying life is not about happiness, happy face. Oh, life. it's like yeah, what, yeah,
0: yeah, what yeah, does yeah. that
1: mean? What are you doing? Have you thought about that? <laughs> One of your rules is, like, don't do things that, like, put your own house in order. Well, put your own fucking prose in order. Oh, my gosh. And don't put happy faces when you're writing an entire book against happiness as the yeah. meaning of life, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's just be serious here. Yeah. You know, so that's my biggest, you know, problem. But after he says that Korra was his uh, ma- meaning of the book, then he transitions to say, oh, and then while I was right, you know, writing maps of meaning, you know. Uh, I was really kind of like you know conflict and our and our inability to avoid conflict, which in maps of meaning is really about nuclear war. Like yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's really dramatic there when you read it. Uh, but here he doesn't really talk about that. He pivots really quickly from there. He talks about a weird dream he had, um, and he goes on to essentially oppose the idea that um that happiness is a proper end to to, to you know to life. Mm-hmm. Um. And right from there, we jump then into the bottom of the ocean floor, and we start talking about lobsters and yeah.
0: serotonin, right? Yeah.
1: But, uh, I mean, I could go through the whole book like that, and we go from lobsters and serotonin to then afterwards literally saying, oh, we can't rely on science to tell us everything. And so then the second chapter is all about themes, and we go to the garden of meet in, and it's like, well, hold on. Let's take up those two claims, right? So on the one hand, we have, like, Evolutionary biology through lobsters to the nervous system of lobsters determines the basis upon which we should stand up straight with our shoulders back. Mm -hmm. And then the very next chapter, he pivots around to basically say, Oh, we can't depend on science. Scientific truths, you know, they just started happening about 500 years ago. But before that, we have these, you know, great stories and so let's talk about Genesis, you know.
0: Well, couldn't he be saying that science isn't a complete picture of? Truth. I think, I think when, uh, I listened to him and Sam Harris's like four hour debate and, and Sam couldn't, couldn't get past. I mean, he just wanted, he wanted it to be like a five minute, just like intro, which was basically like, what is truth? And he couldn't get past Jordan Peterson's definition of truth. And Sam, Sam, I felt like was being a little unfair and and just like, oh, I don't think
1: Sam was actually being unfair. Oh, really? There. I listened really? to both of those.
0: Yeah, I think Sam got him dead
1: on rights. Really? Um, well, where Sam went, and this kind of deviates a bit, but uh, so Sam, I think, and by the way, let, let me just be very ultimately clear. Like I'm a theist. I don't really buy anything that Sam is selling or whatever, but I do agree with what he was saying. And, and he only said it two or three times in the interview, um, and I wish he would emphasize this more. But what I think really bothered Sam was not so much that Peterson's uh, – was not Peterson's um, uh, idea of truth, but it was the fact that Peterson wanted to basically strike out against postmodernism. And the great sin of postmodernism, Harris knows because he studied with Richard Rorty. The great sin of postmodernism is essentially relativizing the question of truth,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and yet Peterson was unable to adequately uh, show to Sam that he did not suffer from a ultimately relativistic position on the question of truth. And so, I think that was the performative contradiction that Harris was after him on. Uh, and I and I actually it was really disappointed that he let it go in the second interview. Yeah, I, mean- I think it should. Should
0: have gone on four more hours on it yeah <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to i my mean, man I'm gonna have to re listen back back to it sure I, I I just felt like i just felt like um I felt like Jordan Peterson was trying to to add something to the definition of truth that sam uh was positioning, not that he not that him and Sam necessarily disagreed. But that Jordan Peterson was adding on um, this kind of I don't man I should have I should have well, done I should have done research I should have done research no, but, fine. but 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 basically Peterson
1: I, though I think. I think Peterson suffers from this across his work, as he can't yeah. quite make up his mind. Yeah. He wants to, on the one hand, slam postmodernism, and on the uh, which include by name he includes Lacan, who's a mm-hmm. Freudian. Yeah. Yet then he wants to turn around and use Freudian ideas through his unionism and psychoanalysis and psychotherapy. Then on the other hand, he wants to help himself to hardcore biology and neurology. Yet on the other hand, then he wants to pivot around and and borrow from evolutionary. Uh, um, uh, psychology and like he he's and then the way he wraps this up this is the most coherent version i've heard him say is that he's a pragmatist Mm -hmm. and what pragmatism i think in the sense he means means is you sort of you're a functionalist you don't care what your system is as long as the system sort of you know cashes out in in a way that's sympathetic to the particular argument you're, you're making and of course. If anyone digs into that idea of pragmatism, I mean, you can go to the most, you know, Catholic uh, overview of it. I know of Copleston in his History of Philosophy series. I mean, it's just it, that version of pragmatism. Use whatever tools you want, as long as they get the right result. I mean, it's just vacuous with respect to a question of truth. Right.
0: Wait. So what? So Coppleston is a pragmatist, or? What, no, what, no. Copleston
1: blows. Uh, he just, he just really takes down the pragmatists gotcha. in his account of history. I actually think Copleston's unfair. I'm sympathetic actually to some of the pragmatists in in ways that Copleston isn't. But if one wants to see sort of like where the like bright white lines of why Peterson's saying that he wants to have neo-Darwinian evolutionary psychology, Freudian uh, themes and archetypes through psychoanalysis. Pragmatism, wrap them all together, and then voila, we've got Bishop Barron Orthodoxy. Sorry, bud. (laughs) That that dog is not going to hunt for you. (laughs) Wait,
0: wait. So, wait, you were saying that Jordan Peterson is saying that you would get Bishop Barron Orthodoxy or? I'm was a lot break? of
1: Catholics out there, they see they see Jordan Peterson, who's running around on basically three basic planks. Yeah. He has the Freudian plank, which is his psychoanalytical stuff, which has both clinical, but it's mostly theoretical. Yeah. And you can see it all over Maps of Meaning. And yeah. Jung is the biggest player there. Yeah, yeah. His other plank is um, neo-Darwinian um, uh, uh, evolutionary psychology and yeah. also biology and neurology. That's what the whole lobster thing is about. And he yeah. draws on studies of that all the time and stuff yeah. like that. And then the third plank is this kind of pragmatic sensibility mm-hmm. where he's kind of like willing to kind of fly between sort of ostensibly scientific and ostensibly kind of anti, if not non-scientific ideas, just very freely and just jump between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pragmatism allows him to do that. But so it's what, kind of like,
0: what was the Bishop Baron part though?
1: Well, like, if you think that you're going to be able to put Freud, you know, psychoanalysis, pragmatism and, um, and neo-Darwinianism and you're going to end up with some kind of a, like a canonic – you know, canonic You know, you can get an imprimatur for that, you know, from Baron or someone. Like oh, a lot of no. Catholics are running around look, reading that or just not reading it and just seeing that Baron talked about it, and they see it as like he's got a knee-high Opusdot.
0: Oh you know? no, 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 yeah, yeah. And and I, I want to make it clear too that I I in no way think that Jordan Peterson's worldview is worth. Um, is worth buying whole hog. Like I, like I, sure. yeah, I a hundred percent think that people need to know. And
1: Barron in his defense does say that. Yeah. But he, he also in his, not in his defense, he also really starts, he blurs lines. For instance, even to me, the Joseph Campbell association with Peterson. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. Peterson has published two books, a self-help book, pop book because of his popularity mm-hmm. and a book that it took him 15, 20 years to, uh, to write probably for tenure mm-hmm. um joseph campbell published volumes of erudite work very carefully going through culture and stuff and i'm by no means uh in the campbell school on anything but like it's disrespectful for me to associate like someone like peterson who's got a lot of youtube video out there with someone like joseph campbell i mean
0: come well on. i think i i don't i don't know that he was saying like he is he is um equal in his like his quality of work. It was more like he has repopularized. It seemed like to me that he Bishop Barron was saying he has repopularized this Joseph Campbell, um, uh, theme, you know, like the archetypes and this type of stuff. Um,
1: yeah. But then there's people like Rene Girard who just passed away, who had an entire kind of archetypal understanding of like scapegoats and stuff like that. It was super influential on people in the Vatican today walking around. Yeah. And, You know, I can go on and always like, you know, it's the other thing about that is that like, you know, um, when people talk about, you know, well, look at what he's doing, for instance, like the universities. It's like William F. Buckley published the like God at Yale critique of like why freedom of speech is being threatened at elite universities in 1951, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and Alan Bloom published, uh, what is it called, The Closing of the American Mind Mm -hmm. in 1988. Yeah that was kind of like the rehash of that. And yet we're being told that like, Oh, Peterson is renewing. I just don't know if he's doing that. I just really don't know.
0: Well, okay. So this is something as I was thinking back on our discussion and and something that I wanted to kind of work through is this idea of, um, you know, if someone, if someone writes the greatest, the greatest book ever written on, well, like whatever, like, um, the human condition or the human experience or what ought man to do. But, but, but the relationship between someone who writes this most amazing book and the, and someone who maybe as you, you know, maybe as you would say, Sam, like uh, maybe cuts corners or dumbs it down or waters it or in some way is, is like crafting it for a, for a popular audience. Sure. So like how do we like how because because you know, as Bishop Barron says in the in the podcast, he says, like, the fact that the mere fact that um Peterson is not uh you know, an Oprah Winfrey is is at least at least more um intellectually rigorous than than me talking about the Bible, and that while you have that plus um the million. I actually
1: rather listen to you talk about the Bible. Oh man, I've heard an evangelist. Evangel- I know you're an evangelist. You're yeah. you a credible person. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. You're okay. using okay. scripture to well, bring people to Christ. True. I'd much rather listen true, to you true, do true. that That's a than good- Jordan Peterson talk about the Garden of Eden account in a way that, like, frankly, my kid could talk better about.
0: Yeah. Okay. That that's a good point. That's a good point. I guess I was trying to avoid saying Matthew Kelly because I need to. I'm going to meet I'm going to meet him one day and I'm going to feel like really he's a he's a wonderful man. Um but I guess I'm just using him as an example of maybe a more populist style and and it, I think there's something that we have to acknowledge if there is the popularity of Jordan Peterson like it's it's something like whether or not we agree with him or his there's just something we have to make of it you know what i mean
1: like let me try and twist your words you can okay. tell me how unfair i'm being okay, okay is the argument being made here that we need to acknowledge the sheer value of being popular um
0: i think that when something is it's po- a super unfair way to put it yeah yeah, yeah no no, like, no. i'm i'm the i'm thesis? working like is that the claim i don't know i'm working through it i'm trying to figure out i think what i'm saying is that, that can name you lots of popular people like Dr. Oz who has
1: a, who has a medical position.
0: Yeah. D- yeah, yeah. 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 I And I think Columbia medical school, I think. Yeah, no, true. I, I guess, I guess, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that at least, you know, we need to, or at least it would be beneficial to examine why it is even Dr. Oz. Like, why is it that Dr. Oz is, is popular or has has had the type of popularity that he has like like that's no no, i agree with you yeah like that's what i'm interested in like that that's but can we make a distinction though between between the phenomenon
1: of popularity Uh as something to to investigate like what precisely is it about x that 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 speaks to its kind of geist is what the germans would say like how is it that these things kind of jump into the culture and get thrown around and now in the age of social media you know i don't even know if geist applies or not but you know um that's one thing but the other thing is to use popularity as a kind of entry pass into saying this is important
0: okay um so you're saying the on the one between... hand the
1: phenomenon of popularity is, is interesting i agree with that mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that's a that's the question of like how is it possible for x to become popular that's one question but the other question the other the other thing i see more more on the internet is because x is popular it's relevant and we have to deal with its terms and that's a different i think question
0: so what would you say about that question
1: um i would say that there are a lot of things that are popular um and are despicable um, and so, the while the so, so I think it's super interesting. I'm sorry, I'm going to go way down to the bottom of the heat, but no, it communicates really clearly. Do it, do it. I think it's super interesting to analyze the rhetoric of Fidel Castro or Hitler yeah. and say, you know, let's put aside the fact that these are in some ways, you know, offensive ideologies. Let's try to understand, you know, why Soviet propaganda um was appealing in its time to Russian peasants or you know what have you. That's a really interesting question. It's a historical question. It's yeah. a question I think But I do not think that we can say, well look, I mean the 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 Soviet ideology was super popular. We can't just throw it out of hand. no yeah we can.
0: <laughs> you know? Um true, true. I mean I'm not saying that because it's popular it necessarily has value. I'm just saying that um that it's also true or maybe this is just a question like Sure. is it then wrong you know sometimes we say like christianity like jesus the man we can acc- we can accredit the however you want to call it, popul- the popularity of christianity in the sense that it has flourished and lasted you could make Fair a enough. case that, that 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 is some version of popularity or or um penetration and so in that case we would say it penetrated because it was true And then there's this other side, like for instance, and I, you know, and I, and maybe I was like, maybe like too glib at the end of our last interview. Mm. But like, if, if your, if one of your books became (laughs) exceedingly popular, I would be like, it's popular because it's, because it's true, because there's true, you know what I mean? Like, and so like, you know, on the one hand, I think, I think that, you know, like Hitler's quote, the bigger the lie, the easier to swallow or whatever, like, um, I, I don't know. Maybe there's maybe as I'm trying to work out like a, um, like a working uh, definition yeah. of this popularity that yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the biggest lie and the biggest truth have this, have this um, ability to be, to be um, popular or to be. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, and I'm sure there's some books out there or like all of these philosophers that I'm, I'm totally like, uh, like, no, not- I
1: don't think so. I think, I think you're onto something. I just, I, my dispute would be that, I think you're uh, there. There's a there's a historian in my department who talks about. He calls them deadbeats, <laughs> and it's it's not very generous. But he basically says <laughs> if the theorist you're working with, if you're doing more work for them than they're doing for you, they're a deadbeat, and you need to get rid of them. <laughs> so what, is that,
0: what does that mean? Like
1: what that means is that like for if you're if if you're using something that you say you're using to help you think, but in the process you're just basically kind of doing it a bunch of favors by scaffolding it and helping it out and stuff, and it's not giving you anything, Uh, then it's, then it's, then it's a deadbeat theory. Yeah. Um, and so for me, um, the, the, the serious question you're raising, which I think is super important. And I don't see it being asked, which is basically, how does a Christian understand a phenomenon like populism, uh, politically, historically, what have you, because Christianity is really complicated this way because the cross is a sign of contradiction. Yeah. Right. It's supposed to be rejected by everyone. Paul tells us,
0: yeah. Like we, um, we want it. Like we want the pope. We want the pope Benedict. Like the church has to become small. Like we want both that and the church is universal and it's spread the world and it's – spread. Like that's the tension. I'm, yeah. That's exactly. It's, it's, you're right. It's, it's, you're right.
1: Yeah, and, and it's and it's a really in some ways it's a really beautiful tension. Um, and we see it even in the Gospels that, like, Jesus was in some sense um, uh, buttressed by the fact that the crowds wouldn't stop flocking to him on the one hand, whereas on the other hand, he was rejected and scorned and crucified. Mm. Um, yet, to me, the, 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 these aren't opposing things. The fact is, whenever it came down for, for, for like, you know, for the rubber to hit the road… His apostles abandoned him. Yeah. His, you know, Peter rejected him. Only his mother and and the beloved apostle yeah. stay true to him. Only the women. And so, to me, this is this is the story of Christianity with respect to populism. That populism, in and of itself, will never satisfy the demands of the cross. And so, I think for 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 a Christian thinker, um, we can't be seduced by populism. And I think the Jewish tradition is, is especially the, the diasporic Jewish tradition, you know, is a really beautiful reminder of this. At the very heart of Judaism is this kind of exclusivity, which you can see in the Old Testament, but you can also see in the kind of diasporic tradition of of Jewish thought, you know, kind of after the, the destruction, the second destruction of the temple. Um, and it's, um, to me, that's where I want to put my money on. I want to bet on that side. And I think that, that it's, um, we're flirting with uh some really difficult contradictions that could even become uh uh incommensurable with 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 our faith and especially with the cross if if we go too far right
0: yeah excuse me and and i feel like um i feel like the heart my turn my turn to maybe put <laughs> put words in your mouth yeah right? good but i feel like the heart of what of what you're really concerned about is people who um, who are seeing the rise of Peterson are seeing glimmers of a Catholic worldview and then are championing him as, like you said, like this Orthodox version of like, he's one of us. Isn't this like, here's this guy who's, who's like, you know kicking the culture in the teeth and yeah and he represents this ultra this like conservative hero this orthodox hero this um uh like spiritually sympathetic scientist and now he and, and so now i will read everything he says and believe it as as gospel is that sure. is that like a fair i because i feel like i feel like sometimes when i you know like when i share more of my the side of me that's uneasy about him because i'm trying to be mm-hmm. the i'm trying to be the the anti-sam to the sam yeah. argument yeah but yeah, I, no, I feel like good. what but i feel like when i'm sharing my my caveats you're okay with that but the, but the problem is is the attitude that then takes this populist movement of someone who's becoming popular and and kind of champions him as like stamp of approval this is great um and, and i and also if i could add a second thing i feel sure. like i feel like something that I've been thinking about a lot ever since our conversation, it's actually like (laughs) it's created a lot of, a lot of reading guilt in my head. Mm. This whole idea that, that there are so many classics and that if a book stands the test of time, um, why are we not going back to those books? And actually I've been rethinking like a lot of the, I mean, I think every book ever since we had that conversation, there has been a part of me that goes, Oh man, like this is like, I should be spending more time on, an ancient book than this, sure. this more new yeah. book, and I think that's a that is also kind of a an underlying um, position of what you're trying to say here is that I don't know, I don't know, I'm going on for too long, but does that no, make sense? I think
1: well, yeah, I mean, y- your point there is is a basic question of inheritance and not squandering our intellectual inheritance because we want to read the New York Times bestsellers, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, um, yeah but yeah.
1: on the other hand, I don't, I don't want to overdetermine that either, and and and. And, and to me, like, even the claim that, like, look, Peterson's, you know, making scripture come alive, it's like, hold on, d- I mean, Nietzsche talked about scripture endlessly, Freud talked about scripture endlessly, mm-hmm. I mean, the new atheists in some sense are obsessed with scripture, Sam Harris talks about scripture of all kinds, you know, the Quran and the Bible and, you know, stuff like that, um, there's the, we can't lower the, the, the price of admission to like, if you can kind of speak directly about scripture, all of a sudden you have something to say, like there's, there are, there, you know, we should, we should be more demanding than
0: that. But, but but couldn't I, I'll just cut in. Couldn't, couldn't you though say that, and this would be my more sympathetic side saying, well, even though it wouldn't be the way I would, the, the, I would rather someone um get the attention of millions of people and talk about scripture than get the attention of get the same Jordan Peterson attention and talk about whatever might be the the antecedent of scripture. Like I don't want to say the Quran, but like whatever. Like like because I am Catholic, because I because I have a certain worldview as true, I would rather see someone like Reach the man. I feel so bad. I constantly come back to Matthew Kelly. I would rather, in some ways, Jordan Peterson reach millions of people and and suddenly have um, scientists who who thought the Bible is a ridiculous book maybe kind of bring them a little bit closer to. All right, well, there's there's some there's some worth in this in this ancient document. It, it has influenced Western civilization. Then for Matthew Kelly to not reach as deep of cultural um, uh attention and um and and not really uh sway some of those people i don't know i don't know if i'm being too kind by saying like well he's doing some good um but i i feel like i feel like your position is like well he's doing more harm than good
1: well i mean i think i think the uh they, there's a saying in in latin uh corruptio optimi pessima est." the mm. corruption of the worst the, the corruption of the best is the worst mm. right um I mean, here I'm going to say something I don't think I've ever said before, but if you have to ask me, like, you know, like, Sam, how would you, would you rather have people read, you know, Rediscovering Catholicism or the, you know, the 12 rules? I would say Rediscovering Catholicism every day of the week. Why? Because uh, for all of the contradictions and laziness and bad writing and, and cheap books that Kelly Puts out, they're motivated. um, I I I can't say that they're not motivated by a certain love of the church, Mm -hmm. and that people should uh, probably read that that motivation um, is probably going to do more good for them by comparison to an expedient and a politically kind of timely set of kind of overlaps that they kind of have that they can find with Peterson. Which requires, of course, brushing over all, uh, all you know, a bunch of other things. Like, for instance, like social Darwinism. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's not gonna, um, you know, social Darwinism just isn't gonna work out, you know. Um, And by the way, Richard Dawkins, you know, fierce atheist, talks beautifully about how wonderful he thinks uh, scripture is as literature. Wait, really? Yeah. Man, oh, yeah. I've only ever he talks heard... about how he reads. It. He he reads it. He reads it, but he reads it as literature, as as you know, fiction, whatever. Oh man, uh, that's really... by the way, Peterson reads it as literature too.
0: Yeah,
1: he he did. You know, yeah, and, totally, uh, totally, yeah. And so and so to me, the idea that somehow you know, and, and by the way, Richard Dawkins as a scientist, I think, is a far more compelling uh, biologist um, talking about. You know, group selection and really, you know, real manifestations, and he never equivocates that necessarily to well. And in a weird way, Dawkins has a kind of social Darwinism at the core of his atheism, um, but he doesn't. Ex- he doesn't. He doesn't try to connect those dots. Whereas Peterson is actively trying to uh, to to connect the dots of you know. Biology, And I mean, the lobster example is the best you could ever think of in this case, you know, to human behavior and to human society. Yeah. And
0: so. Oh, sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Well, I mean, at the end of the day,
1: it's 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 a question for me. I mean, because people have uh, asked me the more brutal question, which you've been too kind, probably saying like, well, Sam, if all this is true, then why are you reading all these books? You know, why are you reading Peterson if we're not supposed to read Peterson? Like, Uh you know, aren't you? aren't you a hypocrite for doing that? No,
0: and, well, th- sorry.
1: Well, because. people, it's a fair question. People have asked me that many times and I actually take it fairly seriously. And I'll be completely honest. I mean, the only reason why I picked up, you know, the digital copy of Maps and Meeting at my library and the only reason why I purchased, you know, the 12 rules is because I love my community. Yeah. The, the, and, that's, and that's, you know, the Catholic community that I was born and raised in and that I live in right now. Yeah. And whenever certain things Become influential in that community. I feel like I have a certain responsibility to, uh, um, to, uh, to have some some ability to help distill, you know, what's going on. You no, a
0: hundred percent. Like Sam, like I, I mean, I don't know enough people in the Catholic world, but a hundred percent. I, I think, <laughs> you of anyone has the responsibility of offering the well thought out and deep critique. Like I, I, I mean, I've said this. I'm probably like the biggest your biggest fan in that sense because i like actively seek out your criticism of of things because like yeah yeah. you're right no you're a hundred percent like i yeah and i and um yeah i would hope that most people know that that's why you're reading these things is because sure yeah we we do need to read these things and offer the critique so i was i think so i was just i was real quick gonna play this game uh um the lesser of two evils right so like Mm -hmm. so Jordan Peterson or Richard Dawkins? Which I you... take Richard Dawkins every day. Man, son of a really
1: see of like course.
0: see in my in my like exposure to Richard Dawkins, he is so dismissive of of um of religious people as just ridiculous and and as the Bible of the Bible of what I have come across of Richard Dawkins is like the Bible just makes no sense. Like there are some times where he will tweet things where I'm like an eighth grader could answer, <laughs> could like answer your problems with the Bible or your problems with suffering. An eighth grader from like our religious ed class could answer like, why did God allow suffering, suffering if God is good? Or like, why does the old Testament say uh, women with menstruation need to leave? The-? You know what I mean? Like uh, where I feel like at least Jordan Peterson is at least uh tr- you know at least says he's trying to uh, to take 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 the scriptures for what they are and to say sure. that the, at least is saying um I don't fully understand this text it, whereas a lot Fair of enough. times I feel like Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris say I totally understand what this text is and it's it's ridiculous it's absolute um it's it's crazy you know
1: Yeah, the reason I say that with Dawkins, and I would say the same thing about Harris. Harris is kind of a different animal, and I, I, in some ways, have even more respect for Harris's project. Um, By the way, anyone who wants to see Dawkins, um, both at his worst, but also in a weird kind of way, the consistency of his ideas is um, the Canterbury debate, Richard Dawkins against Rowan Williams. Uh, That happened, I think, in, like, I don't remember when it was exactly. But, um that was to me that to me is an example of the fact that Dawkins is willing to stand by his scientism his materialism and see it to its kind of most absurd conclusion
0: yeah yeah
1: and and he and he's willing to basically die on that hill yeah without helping himself to pseudoscience or to escape clauses through themes and literature and whatever and he's basically going to uh, um, consistently defend that position it's a position by the way that I don't even remotely endorse from my own uh, view but i can respect the fact that there is this kind of coherence to his uh to his view and that coherence has its merits whenever it's in the realm of the science of biology i mean his writings on biology i think are very lucid they're very clear and they're unobjectionable from a you know uh, I mean, uh, Hawking just passed away, and a lot of people I don't think knew that he was a member of the Pontifical Academy of the Sciences. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so to me – now, now I don't think that someone like Peterson could ever get admission into the Pontifical Academy of the Sciences because this is relevant to our last thing we said. He's not really a scientist. Mm-hmm, yeah. he's He's doing something – That is kind of having his cake and eating it, too, as a psychologist, as a therapist, as a psychoanalyst, as a reader of themes and scriptures. And the only word that captures all those things meaningfully together is, of course, philosophy. Mm -hmm. But whenever he has to put himself against scrutiny, I mean, you can look at rule number, what is it, rule number eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie, or rule number ten, be precise in your speech. I mean… Who is less precise in their speech than Jordan Peterson when he's talking about lobster nervous systems and trying to build, you know, kind of weak analogies to human behavior there? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, to what extent can we really believe that the life of a crustacean in truth, or at least not a lie, has, you know, direct comparisons for how we should live our lives?
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, that's it. it like that. It, it, it made sense to me, at least in the sense that. um. He was making the case that these types of hierarchies exist on every, on every level of, of creature, right? Like that was kind of his, his dominance hierarchies, Yeah. Like dominance, we can see them throughout and like, and, um, he was kind of making the case that dominance hierarchies are, are deeper and, and wider reaching than a lot of other, um, yeah, like that's called,
1: that's, that's called determinism. Uh huh. It's, it, in other words, what he's saying is that, like, deeper and more ancient in our mind than our 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 will, or our intellect, or our ability to uh, be free, or theologically the you know being made in the image and likeness of God is our crustacean uh, 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 dominance hierarchies. And he uses a crustacean for a particular reason. He's getting made fun of, but I think people should take it kind of seriously. He the reason he uses lobsters is because they're older than just about any other um uh uh, uh being or or uh, on earth right so yeah, i but, think he starts off the chapter talking about like the antiquity of the lobster yeah know, because, which is actually kind of interesting
0: yeah but is i mean is he literally saying that it's it's deeper than our like human dignity i mean i mean you could you could make a case that evolutionarily you know we we find certain foods tasty because that that's that's just that that is an ancient and deep evolution. It doesn't take away from our free will or take away from, you know, just because we find sugars, um, tasty and bitter things, not tasty. It doesn't in some way, like, like hinder the doctrine of, um, yeah, free will. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Am I get, I'm probably venturing out too far, but
1: no, I, I just think that if you're going to say that dominance hierarchies are basically, um, uh, predetermined to dictate, um, human social life, you are abandoning uh, a particular uh, view of freedom in, in, in exchange for a particular kind of determinism, which would be the determinism of, so, of, of dominance hierarchies. Um, and I think, th- in particular, the Christian worldview is explicitly and overtly uh, anti-deterministic in this particular respect, in particular, the, the idea of the dominance hierarchies as being the kind of they kind of you know
0: wait but why would why would uh, dominance hierarchy be deterministic i think like the the argument was like why do we look at uh you know why do we look at superstars and wanna emulate them or why do, like where do we uh where do we take our notions of um how we should look or what would what would grant us success we look we look to the people who have success and then we emulate those uh tendencies or habits or attitudes and and that it's just kind of like a system, but it doesn't it doesn't take away our fruit. We could always choose against it. It just kind of is how things play out. Like if if you're if you're nice, you kind of succeed more than being a jerk. And so you kind of just pick up on that uh even as a kid. Like kids who are jerks don't succeed. And so the people that are at the top seem to be nice and charming. And so I try to emulate the people at the top. And this is what was interesting about Peterson is he kind of said that, hmm. that Jung um you know, I, he was he was in a, a podcast interview with Hunter Motz in this mixed metal artist podcast, and they were talking. They were going on and on about like there is no highest like logos, basically is what they were saying. And and Peterson was kind of at one point just kind of flat out disagreeing, was saying no, Jung figured this all out. The highest, the highest good, the highest ideal to achieve is is like the highest archetype that we could imagine. And and Peterson kind of is placing. The, something like the idea of Jesus, or something like the idea of a Logos, as the highest thing to try to achieve. Um, I don't know. I don't know if i Maybe I'm.
1: I mean, he. He. I think at one point he literally says like dominance hierarchies are like older than trees. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you could say, well, that's just a descriptive claim, right? It's. It's not. It's not necessarily making any normative uh, demands. But the fact that he's using this claim about the antiquity of dominance hierarchies within the first rule for life is that basically our life needs to conform itself to it's it's almost like it like a kind of new natural law of sorts right where Natural law theory is built on the idea that like you know there's this kind of natural uh, sense of morality that's that's kind of built into the fabric of of the world and external reality, and that we have to kind of submit ourselves to it, otherwise we risk becoming morally disordered well that's that's one claim with the, with respect to like you know um, uh, morality, but with respect to um what peterson's saying he's basically saying that there are material biological. Um, structures in in the world that predate us that are built into our dna biologically and that we can't escape out of we can't really get rid of we just have to kind of submit to them and so stand up with your shoulders straight or whatever you know well um
0: yeah and, and i well and i felt like what what he was trying to um what like a different road he was trying to take is that a lot of times when we think of natural selection we think of um like animals evolving towards some like idealized version of an animal. And I I felt like what he was saying is no, in fact um, the end goal that that natural selection is pushing us towards, like the target is always changing because we have a, we have a dominance hierarchy that can change. And so our culture right now um, does not value people who uh People, people who use maybe sexist language, whereas there might have been a time – like um, we reached a point where someone like Trump was able to ascend to the top of some type of dominance hierarchy. But someone with very different attributes or very different personality types could be valued and, and that that target's constantly changing because of something like a dominance hierarchy as opposed to, well, no, there's just this ideal of what it means to be a whale and whales are constantly just moving towards that. That was that, yeah, that. was what I kind of took away from that. I
1: understand that, but this is where Harris's point about truth is 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 really important. So again, are we going to say that, like, um, in other words, does saying that dominance hierarchies do exist, in particular, within the um, uh, evolutionary account of natural selection? Um, again, I mean, I think we can say, yeah, sure, it does. But the whole idea of uh, of culture is that culture is not biologically uh, built into the world it's a social phenomenon just like consciousness or or mind isn't reducible to its you know material manifestations and so to me what, what peterson is kind of doing is he wants to dance with both materialist determinist accounts of human nature on the one hand and then on the other hand buttress that into a kind of morals uh, dimension of culture and life and ultimately giving us rules for how we should live and i, I don't think those two things mix together uh, because the question of truth there is just really really slippery,
0: yeah yeah and that and that may be that may be uh starting to get at the answer of why he may have um reached such popularity is that he kind of is freeing himself up to pick and choose uh oh yeah the best the best of every i think i think that's kind of i'm i'm understanding what you mean by you know he's able the to pragmatism yeah and by, and be and be um in all fields just taking kind of what he picks and chooses from all of those things.
1: Right. And and so what I admire about Dawkins is that he's taking a very modern materialistic account of biology and saying, I'm going to live and die by this. And this is going to be the, de- the, the determinate criterion upon which I will judge what is true and what is false. And up, upon that premise, I, I can't take religion seriously. That's a more coherent claim, even though I disagree with it. Um than Peterson's claim, which is I want to have all of the fun stuff from evolution, but then I want to be able to at the same time grab from uh moral thematic uh claims coming out of everything from social experiments all the way to um, psychoan- psychoanalytic, you know, accounts of dreams and this, that, and the other, and I'm gonna have it all at the same but, time.
0: But isn't this kind of a Thomas Aquinas situation where it's like, you know, drawing from philosophy and theology and Muslims and and Christians and like, isn't this kind of a um, isn't that isn't that maybe at the very least at least a semi Catholic? I'm so scared. I'm so scared of what you're gonna do. You went there. I'm so scared of what you brought up. The good. I know. I'm so scared of what you're gonna do to me. But isn't that kind of at (laughs) least a (laughs) at least a um, you know isn't that a kind of universal sentiment like uh, like I'm sitting at home and I'm gonna take the best of all these different and try to and try to see if I can make it all kind of fit together. I remember in the Sam Harris uh, debate, you know, Peterson was you know, Sam was basically saying, um, Sam was basically saying like. Like you can just make of this what you want. Like you can just see a recipe and read into it whatever you want. And he and he, you know, Peterson did concede. Like, yeah. Like I, I'm not saying this is this is easy. Like I, I yeah, I'm 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 trying to just use all of these different um these different disciplines and areas. And I I do not think anyone should mistake Jordan Peterson for a philosopher. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people mistakenly, especially who have not maybe ever read or taken any philosophy, they, they hear Jordan Peterson talk about Nietzsche or some of these other people. And um, Jordan Peterson is nowhere near a philosopher in, in any like stretch of the imagination. So,
1: no, I mean, two, two points to that. The first one is that the, the distinction I would make between um, a Thomistic um, or even just a generally scholastic view is that at the heart of that view is the idea that the analogy to being, which is to God, um, is is the fundamental, and um, while it can obviously um, draw on everything from there, there's an intrinsic order within that way of reasoning that follows from first principles, right? And that's something that Aristotle had in common as well. It wasn't in, the, in his case, you know, the uh, the Christian idea of God, but he, it was, you know, um, uh, first philosophy, right? Yeah, um, Peterson. Uh, does not operate from a set of premises that are drawn on first principles, and instead he substitutes principles like, you know, crustacean life is older than trees, dominance <laughs> hierarchies are older than trees. He 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 uses that as a substitute for the analogia entis, for the for the analogy of being, and then he kind of starts to skate on that to make you know self help claims. And I just don't see anything in common between those two approaches, even though there is a kind of like, uh, I guess, similar way of association or what have you. I mean, I think they're kind of incompatible with each other.
0: OK, here's my last question. Is there anything good in Jordan Peterson? Is there anything? Can you would I can I convince you to say anything good about Jordan Peterson?
1: Oh, sure. I have <laughs> lots of things to say that are good about
0: Jordan Peterson. Um <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm um, not, I'm not trying to be insulting. I just, I, I want to. Like. No, are you kidding me? No. I, I mean,
1: I mean, here, here's the thing. Is that like,
0: I feel like that'd know. be a good way to wrap up is, is, is there anything good about Jordan Peters? I mean, I, I'm totally stealing this from the word on fire podcast where they basically, you know, ask Bishop Barron, okay, what, what is good about this? What, what would be your hesitations? And I think maybe what do you, maybe very shortly, what do you what do you see good and then and then a quick like last summary of here are my here are my like big punches against against the peterson phenomenon okay
1: yeah um so first of all i mean uh my biggest disappointment with this new book is that one of the things i liked about maps of meaning is that even though it's it's a dense subject matter peterson's uh uh approach to narrating that that work is, was, in my mind, uh, refreshingly um, clear, um, and he communicated his ideas, how, whatever, whatever one thinks of them, uh, in a way that shows itself in his lectures. You know, he has an ability to, um, uh, to, to rhetorically speak um, in a way that registers uh, with common intuitions, with ordinary language. Uh, he can be funny, he can be acerbic, um and, and those and that is clearly something that, you know, um I mean it's the art of rhetoric, right? Um he's he's good at that. I actually think that he's um uh lost some of the uh the skills that he does have by trying to square the circle uh that he's trying to, to, to square right now. Yeah. Um but you know, I, I think I think he is a good communicator. I think as a lecturer, as a, as a, as an interlocutor, I mean, I I would love someday, and I do hope this happens. Given that I'm in the Canadian Academy, like he is, um, I would love to sit down with him and and talk through some of these things. I've seen him be confronted by claims, including by Harris and and by others. Uh, difficult questions, and he does have the capacity to recognize, like, oh yeah, this is a this is a difficult question. This is this is a a, a reasonable objection or what have you. And so I think that speaks to his credit. Right? Sam, I would uh, pay
0: money. I would pay money for you and him. I mean, Patrick Coffin has had him on. Surely you can pull some strings and 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 bring it. To, I will. I will record the conversation. I'll be in charge of podcasting you and Jordan hey, Peterson having a conversation. You know,
1: I, I've said it many times. I'll continue to say it, but you know, name a place and a time. And at this point I'll pay my own ticket, you know, like I have (laughs) no, I, I, I I don't really feel like, uh, there's anything preventing me, um, from having a serious, um, conversation. It would be fantastic.
0: Yeah. It would be fantastic.
1: Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I, I do think that one of my critiques of him was that he doesn't seek out a uh, uh, very difficult conversations is uh, slightly blunted by the fact that he does seem to want to keep talking to Sam Harris and, uh, and he does seem to, to be exposing himself to, to criticism, at least in that particular kind of speaking series that he's been doing. He's been here in my, my town Vancouver a few times doing that. Yeah. And, um, I, and
0: I'll just throw in real quick that that was one of the things that um, at least Bought me into listening to him. I mean, and the same reason I listen to Sam Harris sometimes is that he sure. is this that level of humility of saying, and I've heard him say a few times, like pay very close attention to your to your quote unquote enemies, or pay very close, pay more attention to people who disagree with you than people who agree with you, and sure. that 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 one won my respect. Um, I I'm, I would much rather listen to someone I disagree with wholeheartedly on principle but who yeah. is open who can describe their worldview in great detail but is very open to criticism than someone who's like a fundamentalist
1: yeah and i, I mean I, i'm not willing to go all the way out and say that that peterson is is uh kind of humble and open for instance like he has available to him a person who i think would probably be like the biggest kryptonite to anything he said, which is another Canadian uh, philosopher. Like I heard Camille Paglia say that, you know, he's the most important Canadian intellectual since Marshall McLuhan. I'm like, wait a minute, Charles Taylor is still walking around.
0: Wait, so Charles Taylor should be who Jordan Peterson should talk to?
1: Well, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, I mean, Charles Taylor's book, a secular age, in some sense, um, uh, magnifies some of the critiques of the modern condition that Peterson makes. Yeah. But Taylor is not willing to popularize or overdetermine his claims to write the kind of stuff that Peterson's writing or to try to kind of turn himself into some kind of a guru phenomenon. Yeah. And I think that if Peterson was to sit down with someone like Charles Taylor and have a reasonable and and close conversation, people would see the fact that maybe we don't lack... Gurus and intellectuals, maybe we just don't pay any attention to them,
0: yeah, right yeah
1: um, and uh, so that's that's one example. but at the end of the day, I think that we can't deny going back to the way we started with the question of popularity, is that Peterson's popularity it, and, and by the way, a lot of Catholics are not referring to him so much as a good Catholic. I think that's a false – I mean, some people, I suppose, are saying it, you know, but they're just really stupid. I mean, the people who are serious, though, are saying that Peterson is heroic. He's showing kind of courage at this moment. Um, And what they're usually um, flagging there is his position he took with respect to the C-16 bill and, and, uh, um, and the way that he's responded to that. And the aftermath from that has been not so much Peterson's – I'm glad we talked, by the way, about his, you know, psychological claims and his claims about, you know, the lobsters and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, what Peterson's really talking about the most and where he really gets the most traction um, with Catholics and also with people in general is with his trenchant critique of what he calls postmodern neo-Marxism, right? And um, when it comes to that particular – Uh, critique he's making um it just doesn't even it doesn't hold any water and there's two reasons why it doesn't hold any water the first reason is in conflict with his whole idea about being precise in your speech and finding your interlocutors find me one conversation he's had with a serious postmodern philosopher and i'll eat my shoe he talks to Sam Harris. He talks to, to, to iconoclasts and stuff like that. But he's not willing to get into a room with someone who actually says, no, I actually do endorse. Or even with a Marxist. There's Marxist thinkers out there right now. He could talk to just about anybody he wants in the world. Um, by the way, he did get in a bit of snafu with Slavoj Zizek, who is a who is a Marxist, who also yeah, postmodernism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people say that they might debate in New York. you know. And so that, that'll be something I think to look forward to yeah, and see so how I would love, Yeah,
0: I would love to see that.
1: Yeah, but at the end of the day, the first problem with Peterson with respect to this very particular attraction he's getting on the whole, what he calls postmodern neo Marxism is that he is not following his rules. He's not seeking out those people to talk to and argue with. And some people say, like, well, what about these journalists that he talks to that are kind of – no, 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 no. I don't mean that. Yeah. I I mean actually people – so the only person he cites in his book about postmodernism is Stephen Hicks, who hates postmodernism and wrote a a book where he tries to dismiss it all. But we don't see, for instance – and Peterson has gone as far as to say that, like, oh, Foucault and Derrida – had had one insight at, at at you know and that makes him really dangerous but he does hasn't really taken up uh shown the ability to actually digest and represent that uh in a way but there's a deeper problem and this is a second problem with respect to to Peterson and his postmodern neo-Marxism is that I think he falls victim to it
0: yeah yeah i remember you saying I, that in the last podcast
1: and, and this is something I just can't say enough, and actually Sam Harris, I hadn't listened to the interview when we first talked, mm-hmm. so I kind of feel a bit guilty about not giving credit to the fact that Harris had pointed this out before I did. But um, Peterson's even from the position of rhetoric, he's really good at rhetoric. But guess what Derrida was great at? He was great at talking for four hours and people would sit there and listen to him. I and mean, was a rock star, yeah, right? Yeah. Foucault would give these lectures, you know, if not just at the Coalition of France, but all over the world and people would sit and listen to him. So there's nothing that follows to say that, you know, being able to talk for a long time and make people think that you're making sense means you're necessarily not a postmodernist. I think actually, in many ways, he shares. So many of the traits that he critiques in postmodernism, both in his performative ways of being really loose with language and really imprecise sometimes and kind of borrowing, but also at a deeper level, the fact that – and this is what I brought up with, with Aquinas uh, and the difference I see there – is that he's not arguing from first principles. And that's essentially the core of postmodernism, of, its, of the kind of secular postmodern view, is that basically there are no – First principles. There are no metaphysical absolutes, you know, essence does not perceive the existence, all that kind of stuff. Peterson is firmly in that metaphysical camp. Yeah. And so until he's going to be able to reconcile the uh, kind of inherent contradiction of his cultural critique of postmodernism and his intellectual embrace of it at the same time, I don't think we're going to be able to really uh, take that particular point of traction as serious, much less heroic, which is what I'm seeing online a lot. People calling him a hero, you know. Do you, um, do, you,
0: do you think that there's some credibility to the idea that maybe had he uh, instead of being a professional psychologist was a professional philosopher, he would have seen some of these things more clear, more clearly? Because I, because sometimes I get that sense. Like that. That's what I was trying to say earlier. With yeah, he's, he's not a, mean, he's not a philosopher in the sense yeah. that like. I feel like he's coming at this all from psychology and not yeah like you said like he like he's not bringing up a lot of these um um yeah these philosophers he's not he's not he's he's kind of just approaching it from a psychologist a scientist Dawkins he's bringing up those things he'll bring up mm-hmm. a few philosophers Nietzsche and some of these other ones but um but not in a robust way that someone like Žižek or or Foucault or or these other people are like I sure. like I wonder if I wonder if he he needs or maybe senses the need to um to dive a little deeper into philosophy
1: i mean he might need to read a few books um sure but i i actually think that like you know he seems like a reasonable enough guy he could i think he can spot these flaws if he's willing to be honest i he has a a video where he's confronted about this of like you know do you see anything kind of like you asked me can you say anything nice about about um peterson's people have asked him you know can you say anything nice about postmodernism and and, or, or marxism and he always ends up going back to saying, "Well, but then there's a certain point in which the ability to take these things seriously essentially means that you're endorsing uh, Soviet communism and the gulags, and that's just reprehensible." And and you're and and, and I cannot do that. And he kind of takes this kind of moralistic stance against that. And it's like, hey, fantastic, you know, pat on the back. You're against genocide. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are against genocide, um, and there are a lot of variants uh, across things like Marxism, postmodernism, whatever, that are against that too. Um, the, the, the point for me with Peterson that, that really kind of you know crystallizes all this together though is that he can't imagine in his mind, forget all the books he might read or whatever, he can't imagine in his mind the idea that his commitment to be against Marxism and postmodernism could ever... Um, come under any any kind of uh, there could be any sympathetic account of it that wouldn't necessarily entail his slippery slope into the gulag right
0: mm, yeah and and that's
1: that's that's really you know it's a huge problem I mean one book to read on that is uh, Alistair McIntyre's book right before he published after virtue he wrote a short book called Marxism and Christianity and it's not a Marxist. Um, uh it's not necessarily sympathetic to Marxism, but he does say things like, for instance, the problem of alienation that we find it in Marx and Engels is a, is a problem that goes much deeper than just you know the Marxist project and Christians can kind of identify with that. Emmanuel Mounier, um, a Catholic personalist uh, from France, uh, the editor of esprit throughout the 1930s, uh, said similar things. Um, about, about Marxism, and he's one of the most cited people with respect to the Catholic personalists like John Crosby at Franciscan and other people like that. So to me, it's not so much that Peterson isn't reading enough books, but it's the fact that Peterson is clearly in, in certain ways closed off his imagination to the idea that certain propositions could even be uh, conceivable. And as long as he continues to do that, he's going to be very attractive to a similar um, ideological uh audience that wants to uh reaffirm and reify the the identical view but ne- none of them are ever going to be able to actually deal with the things like things in the world it's just really kind of supporting you know supporting themselves you're kind of repeating the same thing over and over
0: Whew. man that was oh i don't know how to i don't know how to wrap this up sam
1: i mean this is
0: uh it's it's way
1: it's less it's way more boring than the last one because i didn't talk to you i don't about think my so life.
0: i don't <laughs> think is i don't think it's boring at all like and maybe this is a way to wrap it up i think i think all of this like we you know we made a few little caveats where we kind of or i don't know what you call them like disclaimers where we're like look we're not you know we don't i don't believe in sam harris's um worldview or i don't believe in this but i think in general the work that that you're doing, but also the work of engaging in people's worldviews in the way that maybe just this conversation I think is is so necessary and I and I think like more people need to be doing this work of engaging in um the ideas of people that you disagree with or people that um
1: people no, that that's... yeah
0: like people that are explaining their worldview in great clarity and then and then doing the practice of like yeah, like what, like what we're doing. Like, what, what is, what is, what is wrong with this? What is, um, what can we take sure. away? Um, and, and
1: and here, and and by the way, there are easier counterfactuals that I could have brought up, but they would sound like gotchas. But I, I would just want to bring them up in case because I know you keep a, a backlog of all these references. Like, there are liter there is literally a, an approach to theology today mm-hmm. um, that is sometimes called postmodern theology, mm-hmm. and one of the most orthodox and one of the most um, um, uh, important philosophers and intellectuals living today, who is will never reach the popularity of Peterson, but will outlast them in terms of productivity and in terms of his worldview, is Jean-Luc Marion. Uh, did Jean you, Luc did Marion, you mention him? Did you mention him last time? I probably did, because I'm a I'm a huge I'm a I'm just deeply influenced by his work. And so Jean-Luc Marion's uh, uh, approach of uh, Jean-Luc Marion was a student of Jacques Derrida. Okay. The you know and um and so like for me it's like if you want if you want a direct counterfactual to the idea that postmodern neo- neo-Marxism can only be one thing, well go read the book God Without Being by Jean-Duc Marion, or go read uh, uh, the Erotic Phenomenon by jean luc Marion, or go go back and and look at the Franciscan University conference on Christian philosophy dedicated to the thought of Jean-Duc Marion. And there you'll see people who are very serious and very devout Catholic thinkers who are taking very seriously not only the claims and tenets of postmodernism as an intellectual point of view, but also as an intellectual tradition, you mm, know. Yeah. And um, and that's out there, too. And you could find the same thing with Marxism. I mentioned Mounier and I mentioned McIntyre, but there's many others I could bring up as well. Yeah. Uh, the, the fact is that this... Totalizing dualistic view that that Peterson's making that's becoming so popular. Um, for one, in terms of its effects on free speech and expression and stuff at universities, again, Alan Bloom wrote that book. Uh, Buckley wrote that book. There's 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 it's a cottage industry to critique postmodernism. You know, especially throughout the '90s, there was a ton of critique of the literary turn and postmodernism. Come, you know, coming out. You know, every every month there was a book coming out on that. So i don't think peterson is heroic i think though that he has maybe to his credit uh tapped into a particular zeitgeist and captured the imagination of people who frankly i couldn't even have told you in our last interview he would have captured i never would have expected the baron review um uh then uh it's to me it's actually stunning um and that i'm not particularly positively stunned by that Mm. But um but it's clearly captured people's imaginations. And um I think that, you know, just like you know, I mean, people like C.S. Lewis, we can I think dither a bit more on and stuff like that. But with the case of 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 Peterson, uh here's where I would even endorse Dreer above Peterson is that like Dreyer is a man struggling with his faith, kind of out in the open in what I see as a kind of painful and kind of tortured way. But he's clearly uh like I said with Matthew Kelly, these are people who are uh, motivated by, at the bottom, we have to say, a certain love of, of 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 the church and Christ and these things. Peterson doesn't have any of those bona fides at all. Um, and I don't see why we should be giving him uh, credit whenever there are people like Marion or Taylor or others who are clearly doing that with far more you know, um, uh, work far more productivity and by productivity, I don't mean like their books are, they're writing more books. It's the writing of a book shows an investment. And here's the last thing I'll say about Peterson that, that kind of, I admire his, uh, oral approach to, to videos and, and being on TV and stuff. And I think there's something to that. I mean, we're obviously doing it now, but for the intellectual, you know, since Augustine at least, the act of, of putting your thoughts into words onto a page so they can be scrutinized, arguably for the ages, is a supreme act of humility. Yeah. And people who are so productive in kind of talking and offering opinions but are reluctant to write them down, right, um, and produce them in, a, in in a form of kind of careful – arguments and and disputations and stuff like that. I mean, that's another huge difference between Aquinas and Peterson. It's like, just look at Aquinas' summa. I mean, he was all all the volumes of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, He's not really invested in doing that either. And so I think as Catholics in particular, we have so many better uh, models for this. And if we are seduced into thinking that, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend or worse, is my hero, I mean, come on.
0: Man, Sam, I would pay. I'm going to put this down. I would pay five hundred dollars. I think right now that's my limit without talking to my wife for you and Jordan Peterson to talk. Um, I think I would pay a thousand dollars if I got to be there.
1: Hey, uh, wow!
0: And I'm just throwing that out there. I know. I, I know you'll, I hold you're me, insane. you'll hold me. You'll hold me. I know you'll hold me to that. But just and purely just for me, just like just for me trying to figure all this out and and just like really enjoying this whole, whatever you call this, like this process of like, yeah, just this whole conversation. I'm like learning, learning a ton.
1: Sure. Well, the conversation, I think that would be, um, I mean, that conversation, I I do really believe that, you know, um, all things being equal, it, 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 it may be the case. And, and part of that, the work I'm doing now is in some sense to get it into, a couple other outlets where I can maybe get his attention such that he might yeah. want to, to feel like it would be worthwhile. Yeah. I also hopefully, I mean, I'm spending the time doing my homework so that I'm not going to be out to lunch if I end up having to, you know, talk to him and I don't feel like he needs to read my work necessarily at all. I'm happy to be there just as a pure gadfly. Yeah. What um, you know, there's that, that shitty diet, diet book about like, don't eat this, eat that, like don't <laughs> yeah. eat a whopper, eat a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it would be, one of the things I think that I, that one of the weaknesses and my approach and in my kind of social media presence is I give, I put out a pretty steady diet of music. People follow me on Twitter. They, they'll see that I put out lots and lots of like concerts on YouTube and stuff. And I take that really seriously. You might think it's kind of silly, mm-hmm. but like that stuff is meant to like feed people's souls. Like here is art, people like here art you might not be able to find or art that you might not know about. And I want you to find it. Yeah. Um, I would love to also talk about like, hey, are you interested in, you know, critiques of the university? Are you interested in, you know, um, what postmodernism itself might be or could be, or even in factoids about stuff like that? There's a lot of stuff out there that for the person who's genuinely interested in this, uh, from either an intellectual or even just to kind of like, you know, just to kind of see what's out there. I would love to give a kind of you know, instead of Peterson, read this. Instead of Kelly, read that. Instead of Dreher, read that. Instead of you know, uh, we could go on and on. No, hundred,
0: hundred percent. I think you should be doing more of that because, like, even just talking to you in these two podcasts, like, I have this long list that I never otherwise. And and because because I because I'm so weak-minded as to be attracted to Peterson, I'm I'm interested now in <laughs> I'm interested now in some of these people that you're mentioning because I'm like, okay, well, you know,
1: on your podcast, I want to say this because you you deserve this. I mean, your your humility and your lack of defensiveness, and your kind of self-flagellating attitude. It's I mean, it, it's, it's it's almost kind of annoying. It's, it's well, sickening. Well, it's kind of annoying in some ways, <laughs> but but I, I mean, know. I really think you deserve so much credit for that stance because, and in some sense, you are the best critique of my critique because my argument is largely built on a certain a certain real palpable fear that if i don't say anything people are going to kind of you know entrench themselves and dig down and and bunker up and then nothing's gonna happen and you're a great example of someone who's not doing that you know you're egging me on for more of it and so you know you really deserve to be given a a ton of credit for that you know and i think there's a lot of other people like you who are honest and serious and you know who can do this too and uh, so this whole like the polarization and stuff like that. I think that's a little bit overrated. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's performatively so because of certain mediums of conversation, but I do think that people who, uh, and let's, 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 let's be clear here too about Peterson. And so far as, as, as I believe in, in the grace of God that can operate <laughs> through anything. Yeah. I fundamentally believe as a matter of faith that God can work through yeah anything yeah and if yeah, yeah. A, a, and i will not ever try to say that 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 peterson and all of his brokenness and performative contradictions and and, and lack of clarity and all these things can in some way you know cr- be a, a kind of a, a first step towards something yeah. the problem with that though is if i overdetermine that on the basis of grace then so can literally anything yeah yeah, it's and- like
0: it's like it's like you're saying both. I, you're basically just saying yeah. Like the, like people can get good out of this, but also we need a Sam to critique it. Like we need we need that. Like I need this. Like I need to hear Sam when I'm reading Peterson. Like I I, I need. Yeah, I think we need we need that. We need that honest critique. We need that that very strong. Um, yeah, so that we're not just swept away in, in Peterson fever. And I just want to end by saying uh, that I'm, the parts of of my um, my, my my self um, deprecating stance that I've learned as a defense mechanism, I'm going through counseling for that. So you know, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs>
1: oh i'm sorry yeah, no I, I no, no i meant that as a joke
0: no i meant that as a I, joke no no I, no, I, no,
1: I no. but i i generally mean that actually as a compliment yeah above all. yeah no if but i can just plug something <laughs> here as we end yeah uh on my website samrocha.com yeah i uh i have so my p pe- my note about jordan peterson is kind of it's it's gotten a good amount of of uh of views and people have read it i think and i posted on like academia edu and people are reading it but i posted something um uh right around the the time of the CPAC the American Conservative Union annual conference yeah um i posted a note called free speech political correctness and paranoia mm-hmm. and i think that that's probably a more constructive overview of my sense of the situation that is not particularly about peterson necessarily yeah. but is about you know um, these claims that, you know, our society and in particular with respect to like intellectual freedom and stuff like that, that yeah. it's, you know, that it's falling apart. And, you know, one of the things that I point out uh, in that short thing is um, partially the thing about how like, you know, this has been happening for a while, but not just that this has been happening for a while. I think I said this in the last interview and I think I said it in my last book and I, and I write about it here too, cause I'm obsessed with it. But Augustine did his work in Hippo in North Africa as the vandal, you know, as the vandals descended upon there.
0: Yeah.
1: And to me, the Augustinian virtue was the fact that he didn't try to save his culture. Yeah. Because he believed fundamentally in, in, in the truth. He, He had faith in Christ and in his church. And for me, it's this crisis. It's sort of the crisis of the crisis, right? Yeah. That 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 people are – I think the only reason why people today are willing to trade on the exchange rate of Peterson, even aware of his problems, is because they say, well, Sam, things are really bad now. We really need anything we can get, and if it's Peterson, we'll take it. And yeah. I'm here to say no. You yeah. don't have to do that. That is not the exchange rate that we need to trade on.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I, I would wholeheartedly agree, yeah, th- that we can't have this compromising attitude. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. That's, I think that's a great way to end. I think that's a, that's and it's a, on the front page. I have it. I have it. I link to it, up. it. I linked to it already. Okay. okay fantastic. It's going to be go. in the episode. Dude, this is probably one of the longest show notes that we're probably, I'll probably have ever had. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, it's so I, cool. I, I'm so glad yeah, I have, I, am so, yeah, so glad I have these because I'm going to go back and go over these. So, yeah. yeah, man, until, until we do this again, I'm going to, yeah. I'm, I'll, I'm probably going to get you on here again at some point. So,
1: well, I appreciate it and I appreciate everyone who's listening. I've I've been drawn out of my cynicism about how no one listens to this. I, I'm 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 converted on that. You got me.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh you heard it here first. Sam Rocha is starting a podcast. So Someday, uh, soon. Yep. All right, Sam. Well thanks a lot. Uh my wife is calling me from the other room. I think I think I need to go. So
1: gotta go eat some tuna casserole. <laughs> thanks for
0: thanks for being on, man. I'll I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right, see ya. Take care.
1: Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz. This is this is the Presents. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz. So, so, all work is a human act. All work, all work is a human act. Something that could be done by a monkey. Something that. Something that could be done by a monkey, by a robot, by, by a robot. When you do it, the very quality of it completely changes. I'm gonna all of my kids.